Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Um, are you guys ready to head into some scripture? Okay, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and um, you will um, be... Um, might be interested to know, this is the second last week of our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Has anyone gotten anything out of the Sermon on the Mount? Has anyone been changed? Has anyone um, gone through Scripture and sort of think, you know what, I've been living this Christian life for decades now and I need to rethink this. Anyone? I hope so. Um, I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for um, decades. And um, I'm a person in this... um, room who just happens to lead a church and I as I've been going through the Sermon on the Mount the Lord has been messing with me like nothing else before um, we go to um, Matthew chapter 7 um, I'm going to read just a scripture from Psalms 90 verse 12 the title of today's message is called the wise life the wise life and we're going to be looking at the last passage in um, the Sermon on the Mount, and I pray that it is going to mess with us. I pray it's going to unsettle us. Like the last couple of weeks, my prayer has really been that as we've been going through this scripture, that it really unsettles us and shakes us to the core. And hopefully we don't assume some things that we've previously assumed possibly. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is something that we would all like to acquire in our life. Is that not right? I mean, what's the alternative? You're either going to live a wise life or you're going to live a foolish life. And it makes sense that you want to live a wise life, doesn't it? But are we able to actually identify if a life is actually lived in a, in a wise way or in a foolish way? Am I able to look at myself and say, Dave, you're living very wisely right now or you're living in a rather foolish way? Well, as we're going through this scripture, I think that's the call that Jesus is actually really asking for us to make, this idea of wisdom. So as we were in the second last week, we will know by now that throughout this teaching and um, the Sermon on the Mount is the collection of Jesus' teachings. Um, that's actually just beautifully put together for us by Matthew. Um, We will be able to um, hopefully know by now that Jesus is inviting us into this brand new world. Um, This week I've been um, absolutely diving into um, Eugene Peterson's um, biography, A Burning in My Bones. Um, For me, Eugene Peterson is someone who gives me so much wisdom. A couple of years ago, I read his memoirs called The Pastor and it completely changed my mindset when it came to this sacred um, job of pastoring. And um, as I was listening to this biography, there was just this familiar, similar um, tenor that was kind of coming through and he was talking about how Christians use scripture. And he was actually saying, like, do we use scripture? Do, do we look at scripture and we, we look at scripture in order to use it? I'm going to get my blessing. I need to get my breakthrough. I've got something that I need, so I'm going to use scripture. Or do we weaponize scripture? You know, someone's done me bad, so I'm going to get some scripture so I can smack them over the head. You know, you're having an argument with your spouse. Let me go find a scripture and then I'll come and talk to you again. <laughs> Any spouses like that? We tend to do that, don't we? Especially in the charismatic movement which we're kind of, we're a charismatic church. 
But he, he said this thing, which is kind of what we've been trying to unpack and invite us into. He said, do you see scripture as something to be used as, or scripture as something of a brand new world to be lived in? And they are two different ways that you and I can actually look at Scripture. And as we've been um, journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, I really hope and I pray that as you've been like sort of journeying with us, that you can see that Jesus is inviting us into a brand new world. He is actually calling us in. He is actually saying the kingdom of heaven, a new realm, a place of God's authority has been opened up into this present evil age and you and I are invited to enter in. And obviously the issue is how do you enter? And in Jesus' own words, he says the big issue that people are going to have is most people aren't going to enter. And a lot of people aren't even going to want to enter. But it, whether you enter or not, that, that, that's, that's, that's on you. What is actually here is that there is a brand new world that has opened up, a world of flourishing, a, a world that is called the kingdom of heaven, where we are actually invited to be kingdom citizens. And um, that's kind of what we've been um, really trying to, well, for myself, that's what I've been really trying to prod and poke and entice and encourage our church to be part of. Joshua Ryan Butler um, says this in his book, Skeletons in God's Closet. He says, Receiving Jesus is ironically both the easiest and the hardest thing in the world. It is easy because it is free. He wants to embrace us. His affection is towards us. His desire is for us. Jesus loved us while we stuck the knife in. He atoned for our sin while we were his enemies. He outstretched his arms on the cross to receive his rebellious world in an invitation of embrace. And yet receiving Jesus is the hardest thing in the world because it costs us everything. To say yes to the wedding proposal is to enter into union with the very life of Jesus. And to enter into union means the, our old life lived alone must die. And as we come to the very last couple of verses, the last couple of lines in Jesus' teaching, Jesus is going to let us know today, as we're going to look at this, that the way that we live right here, right now, today, is more important than what you could possibly imagine. It's more important than what I could possibly imagine. I wonder if any of us have actually bought the lie, you know what, the way I live today doesn't really matter. Well, notice what we um, talked about in the last couple of weeks. There are false teachers, there are deceivers. But Jesus is letting us know today that the way that you and I live right now, that does matter. And um, that is kind of what we are going to um, delve into. Last week, we learned that on that last day, on the day of the Lord, none of us want to discover that we have been deceived. None of us want to be in that place where Jesus tells a, the, the, anticipates a, a scenario where, where people come to him and say, Lord, and um, Jesus turns around and doesn't even acknowledge who they are. Matthew 7, verse 22 to 23 says this that we went through last week. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and we perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. And last week, there should have been this thing in us, well, if this is the day of the Lord, if this is the day of the final judgment, if this is a day that is coming, well, do I take that seriously enough? Or do I take that seriously at all? And I think that that's a question for us today because that really does determine the way in which we live. The way that we see the end determines how we live 
in the middle. I've said that many times over the last couple of years. The way that we see the end determines the way that we live in the middle. Whenever you and I are encountering a brother and sister in Christ and you can see them tripping up, can you see them just tripping out? Have you ever encountered someone like that? They're just living a life that's destructive, it's chaotic. They're going down a pathway and saying, man, this is not good. This is not going to end well. That should let us know, okay, there is something which is a little bit askew. There's something that is not completely right about how this person, how this brother and sister in Christ is actually seeing the end. Because the way we see the end determines how we live in the middle. That's really important for us to kind of know. And the day of the Lord is going to be an awesome day. Is anyone looking forward to that day? Does anyone believe that day is coming? Right. It's going to be a momentous, it's going to be an awesome day. It's, a, it's going to be a day because we live in a day and an age right now where, where sometimes if you look around, you may think, you know what, injustice happens, but no one really cares. On that day, we're going to say, you know what, <laughs> injustices are not going to be forgotten. On that, on that day, wrongs are going to be made right. On that day, we're going to find out the thing that we live by faith, that death does not have the final, world, the final word. We're going to see that God loves and cares enough for, uh, for, for us in this universe that he actually redeems his universe. His judgment will release the captivity that's on this land. It will reconcile heaven and earth and it will break the bondage that we see afflicting creation. And also, like a master surgeon, he will come and he will remove the cancerous sin that manifests itself in injustice, in death and in corruption. And he will cast that sucker out once and for all. It is good news. It is called our biblical hope. We are believing that God, Jesus, will come again and he will right everything that is wrong. He will reconcile heaven and earth. He is coming as a risen Savior, risen King, conquering over death itself. It is going to be an incredible moment. See, this is the issue, though. The way you see the end determines how you behave in the middle. So if you don't really believe that about the end, that's going to shape the way we live in the middle. You know, that, that's kind of what I'm saying. But, man, I'll tell you what, not just us as followers of Jesus Christ, everyone is waiting for that. Because injustice is something that we're all trying to actually um, make kind of right. So today is all about how we live in the middle, or in particular, living this wise life. And to do that, we're going to get a run at this. So I'm going to read from verse 13, do a quick recap, and head into this um, scripture. It won't take too long, hopefully, but you know, here we go. Verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide, and many who choose that way, uh, for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult, and only few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does, does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me and says, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will 
will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. So this new world of flourishing, which is broken into this present age, is already here. But you have to enter, you see. And, and entering is the big issue. And what the big issue seems to be that the only way to enter is via this narrow gate. It's a very specific gate. It's a very peculiar gate. It's a, it's a kind of gate you just don't find anywhere. You can't actually just accidentally stumble your way into finding this gate. No, Jesus is saying that you and I are going to have to take personal responsibility and intentionally look and find this gate. The narrow gate opens up to a difficult path. I mean, Christianity is sounding really good right now, isn't it? You know, narrow gate, difficult path. <laughs> it's the kind of path that's going to bring difficulty. Have anyone in here experienced some difficulty? It's going to bring suffering. Has anyone experienced some suffering of late? This is part and parcel of the path. Jesus' words, not mine. I honestly wish it wasn't, but this is Jesus' words. So, so this narrow gate opens up to this difficult path. It's going to bring suffering, but at the same time, it doesn't make sense. But even though it's going to be difficult, even though there's going to be a road of suffering that you and I are actually going to have to walk, at the same time is the path of flourishing as well. And it's the kind of path where you and I, if we actually find and walk down this path, we will actually discover we have genuine, faithful brothers and sisters who are actually walking along this same path as well. So it's a path where you and I will not be lonely. If you find yourself in a lonely place, the question I have to ask, or the question I may like suggest and I need to ask for myself is, have I taken the wide gate or am I looking for that narrow gate? Because if you actually make the decision, according to Jesus, to go down the narrow gate, you and I will actually discover that we have many people who are on the same path, walking along this path, and this path is actually going to um, paradoxically kind of lead to this flourishing, even though it's very difficult. And then Jesus assumes that there's going to be some deceivers along this path who are going to be pointing to the wide gate. And he also assumes there are going to be people who are going to be deceived. So last week we talked about the personal demand on you and I to personally be fruit inspectors. To be fruit inspectors. And to be fruit inspectors means that you need to get up close and personal. You know, from afar, the thorn bushes, they, they looked like there were grapes on it. Turns out they were just berries. But from afar, the grapes look, you think, I mean, grapes look amazing, right? You go a little bit closer and you find out, oh, they're not even edible. From afar, these flowers look like figs. But you go up closer and you find out, oh, they're not figs at all. They're flowers. But, but things look different from afar as opposed to when they're close up. And we talked about last week that we are caught up in the celebrity culture in Christianity where we elevate and we promote and we listen and we take to, to heart the things of people who are sort of bigger than life and they are so far away. But you know what? If you were actually invited into their life and you got up close and personal, maybe then you could actually inspect some fruit. But tell you what, you can't inspect their, inspect their fruit. And also, if you're going to be a fruit inspector, you need to understand the difference of fruit and gift. Because we live in this world where we love gifts, don't we? Do you love gifts? I mean, if I got up right now and started prophesying over every single person right now, you go, oh, that's amazing, Dave, wouldn't you? And if function came, I possibly could. But we get impressed by that. We love gifts. 
But Jesus is not talking about gifts. He is saying fruit is actions. It's acts. Fruits, fruit and gifts are two different things. And here's the problem with us as Western Christians, right? If we think when Jesus is talking about fruit, he's really talking about those who prophesy, those who heal, those who preach. This right now, this is gift. If you want to check out my fruit, you need to step into my life. And like I said before, you have access. You can walk into our home. You can walk into our life. But please do not think, oh, Dave's a great preacher. Dave's a great leader. This is gifting. This is not fruit. That's what we talked about last week. Does that um, bring any... Do you remember that? All right. And now we come to the close of this dramatic, exciting invitation, which has been set forth by Jesus. Verse 24, this is the text we're looking at today. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious laws. In the very end of his sermon, Jesus uses this technique and makes this comparison between the wise and the foolish and this kind of teaching belongs to the wisdom tradition which is found in the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalms 1 is a classic case of this. But Jesus actually combines this tradition with a parable in order to pronounce the urgency of his call. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Anyone. This is an inclusive word because anyone is anyone, right? I'm like an anyone. Tanya, you're an anyone. Andrew is an anyone. Doug's an anyone. You know, Gwenny's an anyone. It's nice to know it's such an open invitation. Anyone. Anyone. The invitation is open for anyone who is listening right now. But understand, it's not just listening, it's listening and following. And this seems to be a repeated um, topic or issue in all of Jesus' teaching. It seems to come up all the time. And notice something which is really, really significant here. Jesus says, it's my teaching. Anyone who listens and follows my teaching. And as Jesus brings this final call and this urgent call to us, by using this parable um, coupled with this wisdom tradition, I thought it was probably worth a moment just to really think deeply about what this moment signifies in the Sermon on the Mount. If you and I were able to be sitting by that mountain amongst that crowd, and the reality is we're in a crowd today, and, and just as Jesus is 
given that invitation to a crowd some over 2,000 years ago. In this crowd here today on October 10, 2021, he's making the same invitation. I thought it might be interesting to actually know why is this so significant? You'll recall Jesus is sitting on a mountain, hence Sermon on the Mount. There's another big figure in Israel's um, story who's on a mountain. His name is Moses. This is really significant. As Moses comes down from the mountain, he gives the people of God this incredible gift. It's called Torah. Anyone familiar with Torah? The word Torah? Moses delivers Torah to God's people. So Jesus delivers his teaching to the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you and I are really, or if we really thought deeply about what the purpose of Torah was as Moses gives it. Because somewhere along the line, we, our, our tradition has told us that Torah, which we got, got, got translated down to that word law, we, we, we have a bit of a, a negative idea when it comes to Torah or, or law. This is what happened. God liberated his people. They were a slave people under the domination of Egypt. He delivers them from this powerful empire and he gives them this incredibly rich land. And with all of this, God gives his people instruction. Torah is instruction. He gives his people instruction as to how to enjoy their new liberated experience. That was the purpose of God giving Torah. It was instruction. You've been brought out of slavery. You are now living in this new freedom. You've never lived in this new freedom before. You're in relationship with each other. You're in relationship with Yahweh. This is instruction as to how to live and dwell and to actually live as these liberated people. Torah was a beautiful gift. That is the way Jesus saw Torah and that is the way Paul and Peter saw Torah. It's beautiful. It was incredible, but it was instruction that was given. So Jesus, he's sitting on this mountain. The significance is pronounced. You can't ignore it because he is like doing something like Moses, right? And then he elevates his teaching to the highest place. To such a place where there is a stir. And we know that there is a stir because at the end of this passage or the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read that when Jesus had finished these sayings, saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Why were they amazed? They were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So what Jesus was doing, he wasn't doing what every other rabbi would have been doing, pointing to the interpretation of Torah as, as what this rabbi would say. And this rabbi says, no, what Jesus is doing, he is actually sitting, he is teaching, and he is not forsaking Torah, but he is actually giving the right interpretation of Torah. If you remember, Jesus would say things like, you have heard. But I say to you, do you remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? Please say yes. Okay. You have had it say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. So follow the rationale, okay? 
Torah was this gift that was given to God's people as instruction as to how to enjoy this newly founded, liberated status. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is walking around Galilee and Judea. He is announcing the breaking in of a brand new world, this world of life and flourishing called the kingdom of heaven, liberation itself. After the announcement, Jesus starts teaching the inner logic and the politics of this new kingdom. That's what we've been going through. And this is instruction as to how we are to inhabit and demonstrate this new kingdom life. Jesus then invites those who are in the crowd, those of us here today, to enter into this new world. But you have to enter through the right gate. And in so doing, he, he warns us about false teachers who would point us towards the wrong gate. He tells us about these deceivers so that on the day of judgment, you and I would not be deceived, but you and I would be received by Jesus. And now, at the very end, Jesus is putting this exclamation mark, this emphasis on everything he has taught up until this point, this wisdom or instruction as to how we are to enjoy a new liberated status as this new humanity, which is called the church. We call this the Sermon on the Mount. Did you get that? You can listen to the podcast if you didn't. Jesus in other places and other gospels does emphasize the importance of listening, receiving, and following his teaching. In fact, we've covered this many times. One familiar place, if you've been journeying with us, is found in Mark chapter 4. And um, I'm going to put some things up on the scripture, uh, on, the, on the screen. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out in the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. Picture this. Crowds and crowds of people are following Jesus. So many crowds that Jesus needs to get into a boat and, a boat and actually go out into the lake so that he's not swamped by these people. Right? You can imagine how the, the anticipation and the tension and the excitement in the air at this time, right? I'm looking at your faces right now. You don't have that much excitement about Dave teaching. But can you imagine Jesus teaching? The, the, the atmosphere would have been electric. We know it was electric because he needed to get into a boat. And then he starts off his teaching by saying, listen, he's not trying to get their attention because they're already attending to him, right? Could you imagine if we did something as odd as that? You get into a boat, you go, everyone's going to be watching you. He's not trying to get the attention. No, he's actually giving the topic sentence of what he's talking about. Listen. Listen. I reckon in 2021, he is just shouting that to his church right now. Listen. Listen. Are you listening? That's the topic sentence. Later on in Mark chapter 4 from verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those who are on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Forgiven. This 
passage of scripture we learned two years ago actually comes out of this huge confrontation and huge rejection that Jesus experienced in Mark chapter 3. The teachers of the law had come all the way from Jerusalem to his hometown. They weren't just walking by. It takes a lot of effort to come from Jerusalem and walk all that way. They, they came on purpose. They came on purpose to confront Jesus, right? Not just the, the, the teachers of the law. His own family in this same passage in Mark chapter 3, they call him mad. Have you ever had your family call you mad? They said, he is out of his mind. And the thing that tops the lot, they say to him, this guy is possessed by Beelzebub. He's possessed by this demon. There is complete rejection of Jesus. And as a response, Jesus starts talking about in parables. And funnily enough, his teaching is all about listening because he just experienced a whole bunch of people who weren't listening and they were rejecting what he was saying. And then later on, his disciples say, you need to explain this to us because it doesn't make any sense. So he uses a very familiar image, which is not so familiar to us, but in that day, a very familiar image to actually describe what happens when people don't listen. What happens when people reject my teaching? He uses an image of an idol or a statue, you know, like a little doll. Statues, idols have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. What's he doing? He's saying, the rejection of my teaching, the rejection of my ways will lead you to a place where you're like an idol. In other words, it leads you down a path of dehumanization. Yeah. All right? And if that is true, to receive, to listen, and to follow the words, the teachings of Jesus Christ leads you in the other direction, which is becoming truly human. What is the Sermon on the Mount about? Joining and being part of this new world, this kingdom reality where we flourish as true humanity. He's talking about being truly human. And it all comes down, he says, to if you're going to listen and follow. If you're going to do it or not. I can't make anyone else do it. I can only do it for myself. But, but I really feel like God, is like, like God is kind of like trying to get our attention in the Sermon on the Mount, especially these last couple of weeks. He's trying to get our attention. He's almost like yelling. He's like, listen, this is serious stuff. This is what I've been going on about this entire time. The Sermon on the Mount is all about living as this true humanity. The church at its best is supposed to be demonstrating to the nations, this is what it looks like to be truly human, right? At our best. Would you like to get to our best? I'd love to get to our best. Mate, I'd really love to get to our best. This is instruction for those who have entered this incredible kingdom. It's instruction or it's Torah as to how to live as this new humanity. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important. It is so, that is why, like we've, I feel like we've just brushed the surface, but we are now in week number 31. All right? 
But it's so important, guys. It is just simply so important. It's instruction. So to follow Jesus' teaching obviously implies that you and I need to know Jesus' teaching. Is that right? So over the last 31 weeks, I am praying that you and your families, you and your spouses, you and your children, that you have a better understanding of Jesus' teaching right now than you did 32 weeks ago. A um, biblical scholar who has kind of blown my mind over the last couple of years is um, a, a man called Michael Heiser. Um, his book, Unseen Realms, is just incredible. Um, but he's also got some incredible other stuff. But he tweeted just this last week, and I thought, man, that is a... I, I wish I could just like send this to everyone. But he tweeted this very, very simple line, but I thought, man, that is just so awesome. He said this, You are better off knowing what a passage of Scripture means than you are memorizing it. Here's the deal. We can do our Bible reading and you can memorize Scripture and have no idea what that sucker means. But to actually be able to have that unpacked, to actually be able to look at that and to have, like, just be able to explain and understand what that means. Whoa, because when we understand what it means, then we can walk it out. Isn't that right? And let's be honest, there's some stuff that Jesus says and it just does not make any sense. Isn't that right? But together as community, as family, we're supposed to be inquiring and asking questions of Scripture. Because again, Scripture is not something which I use to get stuff or use to beat someone over the head. Scripture is a doorway, an invitation I'm supposed to live in this brand new world. And if I'm living in this brand new world, I want to understand this world that I'm living in. And this is the point where Jesus really does mean business. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds on solid rock. This parable, I'm not really going to go through because it, it kind of reads itself. Um, and I kind of went a little bit all over the place to get here just to really try to drill home the importance of this. But this parable is very instructional. Listening and following is a person who builds. And building implies effort, it implies work, and it implies being very intentional, doesn't it? Dallas Willard, I've mentioned this before, but um, Dallas Willard, um, he said that grace is, not oppo grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. But to build this life is going to take effort. It's going to take work. We live in a world where we don't really like effort. We don't like work. You know, if I want to lose weight, I want to take a pill. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to run. You know what I'm saying? You know, if there's something wrong with like my, my body, I don't want to actually do, do, do the things to actually get it right. Just give me some medicine. Let's get this over and done with right now. But to build this kind of life takes work. It takes effort. Listen to how Luke um, adds to um, Jesus' um, the description of, of the wise life. You find in Luke chapter 6, verse 47 to 49. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? 
As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug, everyone say dug, dug. who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the other one hears my words and does not put them into practice. It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Building a house today is very different to building in first century Israel, as you could imagine. If you and I wanted to build today, in fact, there are many people in this um, church like you, you are building right now. And you find a piece of land, you clear the piece of land, you level the piece of land, you probably compact the piece of land. Not that I'm a builder, thank goodness for that. And what do you do? You pour some concrete out. Voila! Yeah, you didn't do that in first century. What you had to do is that you needed to find the bedrock. You needed to find the solid rock. So in order to do that, you had to dig down. You had to get dirty. You had to dig through the mud and the dirt, and if you kept on digging, and finally, you would actually find that rock. And when you find that rock, then you start building. Bit of effort, right? Got to know where you, where you want to build. Building, it amazes me, like to kind of construct this, that digging kind of preceded building. Effort and mud was part of the task. So if you and I want to construct a life that's not just going to live last for this life, but also for eternity, we need to start building today. Absolutely today. Jesus says, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck and that house could not... It could not shake it because it was well built. The wise life, a wise life, is built according to Jesus' teaching. This is not new stuff, right? We've been banging on about this for years. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Jesus' kingdom citizens are not just followers. We are also doers of Jesus' teaching. So, after 31 weeks in Jesus' teaching, here we are. And I would be assuming that there are three categories of people who are in this room right now. There are those of us who've heard, but let's be honest, there's going to be those of us who've heard, but you're going to ignore it. Like I said, I can't make you do anything. There are those of us who've heard and we'll put things in practice and you're going to start building. That's awesome. Praise God. You know, thank God for that. And there are those of us, obviously, that we haven't necessarily been around, but now you know. So you can start building. And I think that the difficulty with preaching a sermon like this is that everything I'm saying right now, and it's, I, can, I can see in your mind, okay, the cogs are turning, everything I'm saying means this. There's going to be work involved. Isn't that right? We don't like work. You know, I want to just post an Instagram meme and voila, there it is. I know scripture. 
I want to just listen to my favourite preacher, but I have not done the work to actually find out, is that actually gospel? Is that the narrow gate or is that the wide gate? It's going to involve some work. So as a church, hopefully we provide some places where you can actually come together alongside brothers and sisters and do some work. This Tuesday night, ladies going to be doing some more work. In our lounge room, I've got some dads, and for 10 weeks, we're going to be doing some work. I know Brett and Marnie, they got groups, they're doing some work, and so other connect groups, and you're doing some work. If you rock up every single Sunday, you're going to be prompted and you're going to be provoked to do some work. And the reason why I want to get in everyone's face and step on everyone's toes is not because I'm a mean pastor, it's because I'm a loving brother in Christ and I really take the words of Jesus seriously. And on that last day, I want it to be a day of celebration where we all enter into the city gates. Because the way we see the end determines how we live in the middle. It's an incredible doorway that's been opened. The things that we've been talking about over the last 31 weeks, that word repent, to rethink, to reconsider, to reimagine. That this Christianity is not about ticking a, ticking a box. Our church is not about getting more bums in the seats. If it was, man, we could do that. We've got enough grace and gifting to do that. But what we are doing is together as brothers and sisters, we are exploring and we are investigating this brand new world that's been opened to us that we can step into it living as this true humanity and then by the grace of God demonstrate the church to the world, to the nations so they would be intrigued, so that we would literally be a light so that they who are in the darkness would find their way to our awesome Jesus. That's what we're wanting to do. Everyone's very quiet. Is that because you're like sort of like taking it in? But here's the issue, okay? And it's not just for us. It's the issue for me. And it's the issue for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I really encourage you, like after this, like go and have some conversations. Have some conversations with your spouse. Have some conversations with your kids. Like like, like seriously, don't, don't assume. Don't, don't assume. Have some, have some loving conversations. But, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the issue, okay? This is my issue. The way I see the end determines the way I live in the middle. And in light of that, Jesus says to me, he says, that's so true, Dave, but you also need to understand this, that the way that I live in the middle determines what happens in the end. So I want you to, we're not going to get everything right, guys. We are going to stuff up every day, all right? Getting it right, being perfect, that's not it. Actually, as brothers and sisters coming together and saying, this is what we are going to aspire to do. We are going to try to follow Jesus' teaching. You're not going to get it right all the time. No one, I don't expect it of you. I hope you don't expect it of me. But as we live this God-shaped way, this Jesus-shaped way in the middle, that's going to determine what happens in the end. Again, Jesus' words, anyone who hears my teachings and follows it is as wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes, it torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the wind beats against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And this is why today we are called to live this life, the wise life. And I pray that you and your families will continually join us as we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, as we, as this new community, this new humanity, this new creation, we endeavour with everything we have to actually live and follow and obey and build this house in a God way so that the nations will see it and that God will be glorified and so that you and your families will live in this life of flourishing that God has opened up for you. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Let me pray for you and we will depart. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your teaching. Even as we've come to the end of this incredible Sermon on the Mount where, Jesus, you were just packing a punch. Father, I ask that the words that have been spoken, they have been spoken in grace and in love. But at the same time, myself personally, and as for um, our family and also this church family, we, want to, we really want to take the words of Jesus seriously. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and help us in this endeavor. I ask that there will be just fruitful conversations that come from this. Father, I ask that the things that you want us want to stick in our hearts and our minds, that we will be pondering and we'll be thinking of these things for the remainder of this week and into the future. And I continually ask that you would bring a reformation of this church, Lord. Father, that you would just lift up the veils over our eyes and like the scales would just fall off and that we would actually see ourselves in greater measure that we are brothers and sisters, that, that we belong to each other, that we are to take delight in each other and that you would actually form this beautiful...